This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Hello, this is Jeremy on behalf of Poetry Live, Hawke's Bay. Welcome to the show. Um, We are broadcast on Wednesdays at 2pm or you can go to the radio website and click play or download. Just go to programming. My guest today is Scott Walker. Scott grew up in Hawke's Bay during the 60s where his mother's family owned and trained racehorses. Hence his life passion for anything horse-related. Scott's dream was to become a steeplechase jockey, but sadly the universe had other ideas. He escaped school without enjoying a single poem (laughs) just before his 16th birthday and was told a trade was the way to go. Scott started seven years in the printing industry as a letterpress machinist, followed by six years as a professional firefighter. The following 27 years was spent as a real estate agent, becoming an associate of the Real Estate Institute in 1990, and maybe years of writing newspaper copy have been his introduction to poetry. We'll find out. Since his late teens, he has enjoyed being part of the community as a member of Lions Clubs International, having the opportunity to get involved in such projects as Speechmaker of the Year, the International Magic Show for Special Needs Kids, and the International Peace Poster Competition. Now semi-retired, living with his wife Frances, his daughter and four grandkids plus two cats and a dog named Kevin. He sounds busy enough to me. Welcome to the show, Scott. G'day, Jeremy. It's good to be here. Oh, great. Um, you've done some interesting things. I, I, you know, firefighting, real estate. Just wondered if you had any any um, instant memories or funny stories that come to mind about those careers. Yeah, I have, Jeremy. Um, I've got a funny story about the fire service. I've got to be careful because some of these people are probably still alive, but uh, <laughs> I'll, um, I won't use any names. Um, okay. I hadn't been in the fire brigade in Wellington um, very long, uh, many years ago. I was doing a night shift at a suburban Wellington fire station. It was New Year's Eve, and... Uh, we had a, uh, a new officer there that didn't seem overly friendly. Um, it was a relatively quiet night. We had a couple of false alarms earlier in the evening and we all went off to bed. Then at 3am, New Year's Day, a call came in to the smell of smoke. Now, the smell of smoke um, can often turn out to be something serious, you know, like somebody goes to bed after a few beers and um, and smoking in bed and the results are quite tragic. But this time, unfortunately, it wasn't like that. So when we arrived... Um, we soon found it was nothing more than an incinerator forgotten in someone's back garden. The officer in charge was a little annoyed about having to get up to put out someone's incinerator, and he barked, go put it out, he said, and don't be, you know, take too long about it. So I saw a garden hose nearby, put the fire out, and while the crew went back to the pump, after telling <laughs> me, don't forget, we want to get back to bed, 
Um, I thought I'd better fold the hose up tidy for the owner, which I did. Uh, Then I strolled back to the road. Couldn't believe it. They'd left without me. Here I am, early hours of New Year's (laughs) Day, standing on the street dressed like I'd just attended some sort of fancy dress party with my silver coat on, my fire brigade helmet and my boots. I thought, what am I going to do? Luckily, it was only about three streets away from the fire station, so I sheepishly walked back, hoping I wasn't going to see any um, New Year party goers, which fortunately I didn't. Um, apparently, the officer was in such a grumpy mood, he barked, let's go. Are we all there? My mates forgot I wasn't there until they moved off, and when they realised I wasn't there, they were all a bit scared to actually say, we've lost Scott. So they didn't <laughs> say anything. So they got back to the fire station, and by this stage... The boss, he goes off to bed and the guys are sitting around thinking, who's going to tell him that we've lost one of the, one of our crew? <laughs> and about five minutes later, they were so pleased to see me at the door and um, I've been ribbed about that one um, <laughs> many times in the future. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, one heck of a trade, isn't it? Firefighting. Oh, it is. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot of things other than firefighting. I learned mm. if um, you learned if you prepared to do the cooking in the morning teas, you didn't have to do so much drill in the yard. And oh. um, but no, <laughs> I I was very sad when I, I started having a few falls and that uh, with the disability I've got, and um, mm. I was offered a desk job, but I didn't want to do that, so I decided it was time to have a change of career. Okay, and then you moved into. I went into real estate yep. for about 28 years, yep. and um, I had a fantastic time. In the end, I, I bought a franchise in, in Island Bay um, with a business partner, and um, we were there for 10 years, and then mm. it was time to come home and um, change direction. Okay. So I have got one little story here about real estate. Um, oh, yeah, I'd good. i t- tell you that one. Yeah. Um, I had a client once that flew in from Auckland to look at investment properties. I, I met him at the airport. I showed him four houses, none of which really grabbed him. Then I had one more that was worth taking him to. I'd organised with the tenant to leave a key out that day. We pulled up outside the house and my client said, hey, this may be just what I'm looking for. We walked down the path. The key was meant to be under the gnome, but the tenant hadn't told me there were five gnomes and we <laughs> looked under them all and no key. What am I going to do? This buyer's really keen. Can't let him get away. I saw the laundry window was half open. There was a ladder in the shed. Just as I was about to say to my client, you go first, he looked me straight in the eye and said, there's something you need to know, Scott, before I climb through this window. I'm an Anglican priest. Actually, I'm a bishop. I've never entered a house for a window before. We're not breaking any laws, are we? And... Um, before he climbed through the window I said to him trust me I said I'm an Anglican as well (laughs) so we got in we looked at the house he fell in love with it he said this would be great because I'm looking for something that um, I can rent out to my daughter so I helped him out the window again we got back to the office we signed the contract up and that was the beginning of uh, a number of sales with the (laughs) Anglican bishop (laughs) got in got in well with him right at the start oh that's good okay um, yeah, we've probably all got some funny real estate stories, haven't we, from both sides of the fence. We have. I'm, I met some real <laughs> characters in the early days there, and, um, you know, real estate was very professional, and, um, you know, I think we provided a good service for our clients, but we had a lot of fun on the way, and um, I've got a lot of lot of fond memories. Oh, good. So, things poetry. Um, 
I just want to ask you straight off, who or what turned you on to poetry and when did you start writing it? Um, and were, was there anybody special at school? Did you connect? It doesn't sound like it, it, there was from your bio. Yeah, well, what I'll do first of all, mm. though, Jeremy, um, school part of it. Um, yeah. The last thing on my mind was poetry. I, I think I'd read a couple of poems there about daffodils and um, <laughs> didn't really inspire me at all. Um, I did enjoy writing short stories, but I couldn't, uh, couldn't wait to escape the place as soon as possible. Uh, from a very early age, my life involved horses and... Um, anything to do with horses. As I said, my family owned race horses and uh, we actually leased all the land in um, Waihik, you know, where the EIT is, until about 1971. Uh Um, Also, one of my other interests was movies. I loved the movies and every Saturday I used to go, I have fond memories of going to the Embassy Theatre. My mum used to let me go along with a guy called Stuart Davini, uh, who must have been a couple of years older than me. And, of course, Stuart went on to become a successful actor and and theatre director and I've um, got, got fond memories of those Saturday afternoons. So you asked me who turned me on to poetry. It must have been about three years ago. A friend who is a wonderful artist and painter invited me for a coffee. She asked me if I would be interested in a poem she'd just written. I said, sure. After she read it, I started to think, this is nothing like those boring old poems I, I heard at school. This is completely different. This is a person reaching deep down inside to that vulnerable space that's part of all of us and being prepared to share the experience. Uh, something must have clicked inside. Hmm. Maybe I could do the same. Can't um, say that my first attempt was exactly reaching deep inside, but I had started the journey. Okay. All right. Um, would you like to read a poem, Scott? Yeah. Uh, this first poem is called Finn. Now, Finn is a, a little staffy, a wonderful dog. It was a rescue dog that was owned by a couple of friends of mine and um, he sort of seemed to take it on himself to be the um, <clears throat> security officer in this household and I must admit I was a little terrified of him at first and uh, when we first met he had to have a muzzle on but he's become a bit of a mate over, over the last couple of years. And so this is my poem, Finn. Beyond the gate you may meet your fate for their security awaits. His name is Finn, not because he does not fit within his skin, but because he is similar to that other Finn, the one who loves to swim. His only mission in life is to protect two pretty ladies who live within. Now his job is well defined in his one-track mind. Are you friend or are you foe? His ability to make a snap decision is legendary, I know. If you happen to be foe, I strongly suggest you now go. Do not be fooled to think he is at the end of his tether. He still remembers that other fellow that thought he was so clever. Should you be a friend, you may just pass the test. He will then lead you right to the door. Then he will sit down beside you on the floor. Ah, but there's more, a secret I did discover. Give him a treat, and he will think you are sweet. He will shake your hand, and then he will high-five. Now that's my secret to survive. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's good. I, I like um, animal poems. We, you know, we, we get quite a few pet poems coming through the live poetry groups. You know, they're, they're um, 
It's interesting, really. Big, big range of, of um, approaches to writing about pets or, you know, wildlife or, or animals in general, to be honest. That's right. I yeah. guess I'll have to write one about Kevin. If he's listening to this program, <laughs> you'll be wondering why when I get home. I'm sure his ears will pick up when he hears your voice on, on, the, um, on the radio. Yeah. Um, so you started writing pretty recently, actually writing, and um, which is a great thing. Um, when did you begin reading to live audiences? Uh, must have been about oh, two and a half years ago, and of course that's when I was fortunate enough to be able to come along to um, to live <clears throat> poets in Napier. And mm. uh, my wife, actually, Frances, I saw the ad in the paper, and I said to her, um, "Could be a bit of fun. I wonder if I could give it a go." And she said, "Why don't you?" So um, I came along, and <clears throat> um, the first couple of meetings I came along with my friend, who was the um, the painter, just uh, for a bit of moral support, but mm. um, with her other activities, and then I got soon sort of thrown in the deep end. Um, I must admit, at first, I felt a little intimidated because there are so many talented people that come along to um, the live poet group. Um, but it didn't take me long to figure out that uh, they're all just normal people, and mm. they really went out of the way to encourage me and make yeah. me feel as part of the group and. Um, I just really look forward to attending these meetings mm. on the uh, the first Monday of every month. Yeah, that's that's the Napier Live Poets, and um, there's also Hawke's Bay Live Poets who meet on the second Monday of the month in Terradale. Um, okay, so from what you've said, it was it's all been very um, positive, and that's that's good. So you've begun to share your work and enjoyed the reading. Uh, of poems by other people. Um, would you like to share another one now, Scott? Yeah, um, Jeremy, I've got a poem called Poetry Night, and um, I wrote this as just to sort of get across, you know, how I was feeling a bit nervous after those first couple of meetings. As I said, I came along with a friend the first couple of meetings, so, you know, that was fine. And then all of a sudden I'm on my own, and I see all this, um, these people around that are so talented, and I kind of think, God, all these academic people, and um, here's me um, just starting off. So um, this is my poem to sort of explain a little bit how I was feeling. It's called Poetry Night. Poetry Night has come around again. Jeremy, with clipboard in hand, compiles the list of budding poets ready to voice their latest verse in rhyme or tell the story on their mind. My poetry mate is not here tonight. She's left me to sink or swim, a confusing game, and a pool of circling poets. Green eyes won't save me this time. My turn to share a brand new poem. Carefully chosen words slip from my lips. Not sure if I impress or depress. They clap just the same. Maybe next time I'll just say fuck, and Jeremy will jump up and say, now that's poetry. But for now... I'm still afraid to look down at the floor, just in case I see my broken words lying there, ready to be swept up at the end of the night with the moving of the chairs. Mm. That's a great um, personal experience poem of, <laughs> of the, whole, um, the whole experience, really. I, you captured a lot there. Um, yeah, no, I don't think your words ever ended up on the floor, Scott. I didn't see them there, but uh, truly that's how I, I felt at first there because mm. I feel very humble that I'm able to actually go with real poets and, and, and read my some of the, my poems, which, you know, just sort of new poems, and uh, I'm still finding my way out there. And uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm 
um, I'm very blessed to be able to, um, to be part of the group. Well, everybody's gone through that experience um, of being a beginner. And, um, yeah, I think you read, read well, and I, I've seen some very, very, very well-known poets who actually don't read that well, to be honest. So, you know, um, good on you. Um, and they've had years of practice, you know. So, um, yeah, look, um, how do you go about <coughs> writing a poem, may I ask? Um, and, uh, you know, how does the process work for you? Well, it's pretty wide open at the moment, and... Um you know, I, I try different things, and I'm, I don't. I know there's sometimes you can um, go online and find out, you know, the procedure of writing poems. But I just do it as it comes to me. It, um, it may have been something I've seen or heard during the day. Um, often it's during a quiet time, just before I go off to sleep, and an idea uh-huh. or a memory from the past just pops into my head. Um, I usually make a few quick notes, add a few lines. And when I wake up, um, I'll um, add a few more lines. Um, if it's historical in nature, I usually do a bit of online research to make sure I'm on the right track. And then over the next few days, I'll keep adding a few lines. And once I have a pretty good outline, I'll sit down and write the poem out completely. And then I keep editing until I feel happy with the flow. And sometimes it could be a week, sometimes it could be 10 days, and sometimes it takes mm. a little longer. And mm. I hear some poets um, can take a lifetime to write one poem that, that's, um, right. to, that's important to them. So I'm just yeah. feeling my way around at the moment and mm. um, having a bit of fun in the process. Well, that's great. In terms of topics, um, is that, that's pretty wide open at the moment, is it? Um, or do you find some of your passions like horse riding and things coming into your into your poetry? Yes, yes. I've written one or two poems about horses and um, I like historical poems and um, things to do with history because I'm very interested in military history mm. and that's sort of coming out of my poetry a little bit. But no, I'm pretty open. Just an idea comes to me or I see somebody or, um, as you know, I um, semi-retired and that and I'm um, working at, still out, at, I've been out at BP for some years now, but I'm working out at Clive there and um, I thought as a real estate agent that I got to know what people are all about because my living depended on being able to read people but believe me being at a petrol station there and working the evening shift I see the good the bad the sad and the ugly but most of them are wonderful people and um, I could write dozens of poems and I've written one or two poems um, based on the people I've met so I'm getting Mm. plenty of um, oh fantastic I'm getting plenty of ideas you are, yeah. Well, would you like to share another one? Yeah. Now, this poem is called The Rain, a little sad poem. Um, I'll tell you where it came about. Um, I've got a friend I went to school with, um, and he's in the music business and things, and he makes it his business to keep in touch with every single person he ever went to school with. Mm. Uh, every girl I went out with, because I hate to say it, that he had more contacts than I did, and he introduced me to most of them, and um, I often say to them, what happened to so-and-so? And oh. he can tell me, well, okay. young lady, when I, when I was about 19, I went out with, and uh, she went to Australia, became a nurse, and then tragically died in an accident. And um, oh. I thought this poem I'd write, and um, I've sort of included a little bit about her in it. So here it okay. goes. It's called The Rain. I feel the rain as if for the first time God's wet kiss to his loving creation. Sadness and joy swell up in me like a river replenished heading home to the sea. Clouds open and pour out their love on a blessed land. 
the feeling soft and warm upon my face. Trees and flowers lift their faces to the sky with lips ready to receive. Memories come back to me of a summer's storm. Walking down a wet, trodden path with a girl long forgotten, hand in hand. The rhythmic tapping of the rain, breaking an awkward silence between two friends, not yet lovers. <clears throat> Baptism and renewal, life begins again. Purification of my soul, lost in yesterday's poor decisions. And justification falling upon deaf ears. Mm. Wow. So that was written um, recently, in recent times, looking back many years. Yeah, ago. yeah. No, yeah. that's many years. I wrote that last year, and mm. um, that was looking back, and um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's great. Gosh, that he sounds like a character. That person, he's he is. He's, yeah, yeah, he's um, he's into a little bit of radio too. He's trying to put a radio station together. His name's actually Murray Bone, and that some people know him from Waipukarau there. And um, he's into New Zealand music, and oh, um, good on him. he's um, certainly um, you know he keeps in contact with what's happening out there. So mm. if I want to know what's happened to any of my old mates, I give Murray a ring usually once a month and. And he tells me. Get the latest. Yeah. Okay. Scott, which poets um, do you admire the most, um, you know, whether local or international, historical? Um, yeah. Do you have anybody that you... I have lots, Jeremy, and that, mm. um, as I think, I'm soaking all this up now, and so... But basically, first of all, I'd give you three names of people that you don't usually think of a poet, but these guys have been with me since I was a teenager, and um, that's Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, Leonard Cohen, incredible artists and poets mm. in their own right, and um, yep. I think I'm hopefully learn a little bit from them. I've been reading some local poems, and um, I got a book the other day um, by that's uh, written here by um, Bill Manhire, and it's 100 New Zealand poems, and there's a lot of stuff even back from early settlers. And I'm enjoying reading that. Um, I also read a lot of Sam Hunt. Now, everything that comes out of Sam Hunt's mouth is poetry. Um, I actually met Sam once. Um, my um, future wife and I were at a Bob Dylan concert in 1986, and we mm. sat next to, um, uh, to, to Sam and his son, and we had a great conversation. But I can't remember very much of it that night, and um, I wish I did because mm. possibly I could uh, write a poem about it. Yeah. Um, but there's lots of other artists, a lot of other poets and um, some historical and international poets. So I'll just give you a bit of a rundown on the ones that I'm, I'm starting to enjoy. Joy, uh, there's uh, Charles uh, Pukowski. Yep. His poem is, poems are really raw and confronting and makes me feel uncomfortable. But sometimes poetry's got to make you feel uncomfortable. And I rem remember one of my favourites, The uh, Strangest of the Strange. Um, then there's Philip Larkin. I think he was poet laureate once. Um, a lot of simple truths in his poem, The Mower. Edward Morgan, beautiful um, word pictures in the uh, love story, Strawberries. And then, of course, Mary Oliver deals with loneliness and the human condition. I just love the wild geese. Mm. Some of the historical poems um, and poets, uh, Sylvia Path, The Mirror, Robert Frost stopping by the woods on a snowy evening. And then there's Henry Longfellow, The Day is Done. And, of course, one of my most favourite poets, um, especially the military history, but coming out is Alfred Lord Tennyson and mm, um, mm. Into the Valley of Death, Road the 600, which I'm going to read shortly. 
And then one poet that I've dis- poet I've discovered uh, recently is William Yeats, and I've been listening to his poems, and a lot of his poems have been set to music, and often before I go to sleep at night, I, I listen to his music, and there's some beautiful emotive stories, and I'd like to share one with you um, that um, resonated with me, and it's, um, yes. this is just two verses of it, because okay. it's a bit longer, and it's called When You Are Old. When you're old and grey and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true? But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. Those words were written 130 Mm. years ago, but they Mm. could have been written today. indeed. So, you know, lots of things going on in my head. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's a very um, full list, really, um, that you've given. And it's it's terrific that you're um, on this journey of discovery, which, which I think most, well, many poets are. You know, there's always another writer or another book or verse or another poem you might find yeah and there's so much fun and i'm just actually enjoying it i mean i used to listen to a lot of music before i go to sleep but now it's um i'm listening to poetry yeah oh good on you um okay well would you like to share another yeah and this poem is my favorite poem of all time into the valley of the road 600 okay by alfred lord tennyson and this was written about the crimean war and um well, 170 years ago. The irony of it, of course, is that Russia is still fighting over the Crimea and Ukraine war. Nothing changes. Yeah. So here we go. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward. All in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew. Someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Cannon to the right of them. Cannon to the left of them. Cannon in front of them. Volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell. Boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the six hundred. Flashed all their sabres bare, flashed as they turned an ear, sabring the gunners there, charging an army while all the world wondered. Plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke. Cossack and Russian reeled from the sabre stroke, Shattered and sundered, then they rode back, but not, not the 600. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them. Volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell. All that was left of them, left of six hundred. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made. All the world wondered. Honour the charge they made. Honour the light brigade. 
Noble 600. Yeah, um, famous words, and uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's um, you know, it's completely um, contemporary and it's... So you know, powerful, yeah. and um, you know, I always remember that was, of course, one of the last charges of the British Army as a cavalry charge, and so disastrous just because orders were confused and they were never meant to charge mm-hmm. 2,000 Russians straight on. How many times has has the wrong order been given? Good heavens. Um, All right. Well, um, you touched on this a little bit already, actually, probably quite a lot. But what role do you think poetry plays in the community? And, um, you know, I mean, what what goes on in Hawke's Bay is similar to other other cities, of course, you know, other where poetry, live poetry is read. What what do you think it does in the community? Um, I think poetry can help build community amongst people, um, mm-hmm. both, both through mutual and self-expression and through people sharing poetry they love with others. It's not just about reading <clears throat> words, it's also about understanding the meanings, emotions. Um, I once read somewhere that there's five important benefits of writing poetry, and they say that there improves language skills, uh, sparks creative thinking, creates self-awareness. As a therapeutic activity and expands your world views, I think all of these are um, are very true to me. Mm, okay, thank you. Um, would you like to share another of your own ones, Scott? Yeah. Um, as I said uh, before, I'm interested in trains and and, and so forth. And this one is um, was quite important to write to me. It's about the Tangawai disaster, oh. Christmas. Um, 1953, and it's important to me, and apart from being a train enthusiast, um, it was a busy night that night, and there were actually two trains. Um, there was one an hour behind, and that was driven by um, the father of, a, of my, one of my best friends. And um, also, um, I had an aunt that was meant to be on the train, that was meant to get on in Palmerston, and um, her husband was late that night from work, and she mm. um, gave him a bit of a hard time when he got there. They mm. missed the train, and... Um, she was so thankful, so thankful that uh, they had missed the train and um, they had to take the later train. So uh, this is my poem yeah. about the tragedy. Okay. A Christmas Eve in 53, Wellington to Auckland Night Express. Guards fans stacked high, gifts and toys for tomorrow morn. The time is now 2.53, platform nine, all abuzz. The words of come all ye faithful rise to the rafters high above. Time for passengers and friends to say goodbye. Sounds of laughter and good cheer. Young men and girls work now over for the year. The party starts tonight and will last until New Year's. Wide-eyed children stand and stare with no thought of tears. KA 947 waits impatiently on its road of steel. 145 tonnes, brute strength. 13 carriages to pull. The road is fixed, the signal set. Destiny and fate are in charge of train 626 today. The time is now 3.01. Pistons hiss, fire and steam. The driver's hand is on the throttle. The fireman makes more steam. Rails chatter and axles hum. An hypnotic rhythm may be a warning of things to come. The miles flash by on a balmy December afternoon. Palmerston North, more passengers to board, now number 281. The time is now 5.53. Through grubby carriage windows, a lifetime passes by. 
in the distance, quietly waiting, Ruapehu, the great lake, the great crater lake, Tewahihamohi, an uneventful journey, or so it seems. Men play cards and sip whiskey, young parents settle excited children, day is almost done, shadows of a mountain not seen by anyone. Tai Happy has arrived, a short stop, a crew change here, a new loco, KA949, is coupled to the train. The time is now 10.09. Waiuru flashes by, Tangiwai Station soon passes in the night. Now too late to stop the clock or reverse this train. The time is now 10.17. Full speed, a schedule to be kept. One mile left to the Whangahui River Bridge. Passengers now deep in sleep, dreaming of Christmas Day. The crew of six, sorry, the crew of train six two six applied the brakes too late. The bridge was gone suddenly, violently, no mercy given, hurled through the darkness. Then, for one brief moment, nothing, but the sound of a river returning to the sea. The time is now ten twenty one, Christmas Eve. Mm. Oh, well done. That's a very famous night in. New Zealand's history it certainly is. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's good actually. His, history is is a wonderful resource <laughs> to to draw from in, in in poetry writing. Yeah, I'm quite thankful yeah. for Google because um, yeah. if, if I'm not clear on something, oh, it's, Google's my best friend. Um, learning to be a poet is uh, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. Oh, it's it's remarkable, really. You know that. When you think we used to lug around um, collections of encyclopedias, um, that's one thing, isn't it? Encyclopedia um, salesmen don't knock on the door anymore. <laughs> I've got fond memories, I think, of many years ago of the encyclopedia uh, salesman coming to the door, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to spend all the money. And he said, look, I will go out and have a smoke outside for five minutes, he said, and when I come back, you will have made your mind up. And we're thinking, we can't let the poor bugger out there all that time, so we're so embarrassed we bought them. Yeah. Yeah, the Encyclopedia Britannica was, I think, in my when I was a boy, that was that was the premium one. Anyway, let's move on. Um, so you've touched on this also, I think, Scott, um, about poetry educating or changing the way people think. Um, what, what's your response to that? Uh, Jeremy, I'm positive a poem has the power to change the world one heart at a time. It's got to be good for your mental health. Just imagine taking one of your most personal thoughts, possibly something sad you've been carrying around with you for years, and for a poem, bring it into the light of day. It's got to be Mm. positive, maybe even life-saving. The next poem is something from my own life. Um, I have a a slight disability um, called Becker's disease. It's a um, muscular dystrophy, and um, I have a weakness in my legs. And if I'm not thinking, I can fall over quite a bit, and I have trouble on stairs. And um, I have a granddaughter called Bella. And um, I wrote this poem basically to... um, to explain to her because I heard her talking to one of her friends one day and I kind of think that it's a bit sad people are kind of use that word disability or disabled to label people mm. and um, so I thought I'd write Bella this poem just to um, explain to her yeah. uh, you know how I felt about it okay right this poem's called Bella my young granddaughter Bella was chatting to one of her friends uh, she said my granddad is disabled 
Sometimes his brain stops working for a second or three. One moment he's standing, next he's on the floor, flat on his face. Her mate looked concerned and came up with a plan. Have you thought of getting him a wheelchair or maybe one of those scooter things? No, just wouldn't work. Grandad can be a bit of a pain. Pretends it didn't happen. Then he falls all over again. Later on that particular day, I took Bella out in the car. We're sure in the sun, an ice cream cone down on the beach. We started to chat about this and that, and then I reminded her of what she said to her friend. Bella, Grandad isn't disabled. Sometimes my legs just don't work. The going down is the easy part, but getting up now, that can hurt. I used to feel embarrassed for looking such a fool. I didn't want people to see me on the stairs, and sometimes I know I walk a little funny and my back is bent. People sometimes stare. Then one day I came to realise my physical challenges don't define who I am. My family and friends, well, they still love me just as I am. Bella, there's no shame to fall flat on your face, and words like disabled are just other people's labels. So next time you see someone a little different, give them a smile, possibly stop and chat for a while, because that person you see is no different to you and me. Oh, that's a lovely poem. Have you shared it with Bella? Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I asked her permission that I could use her name, and she was, she was quite happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet she was proud of that. Um, okay, Kiwi poet Elizabeth Smither, who was one of the poet laureates back in the day, she described poetry simply as a way of being alive. And, and again, you, you know, you probably answered that to some degree, but would, do, you, do you agree with that statement? I totally do, uh, Jeremy, and that, um, you know, it sounds a bit corny, but the last three years have been sort of really some of the happiest <clears throat> times of my life and being able to express myself and bring things that I've got inside out have made me much, much better person. And, um, you know, so I totally agree. Um, oh, poetry, for me is, poetry to me is like writing a, a very short story. It's a, the challenge yeah. you have is to get your message across. And um, you've got, a, you know, and a lot less words than the person writing a book. I suppose it's a bit like um, somebody painting a picture and that there. Um, they've only got one chance for people to look and to um, know what they're trying to say. Yeah, like a, a like a, an essay or something distilled right down to a few lines, isn't it? That's right. Um, and w while we're on the quote thing, um, American poet Allen Ginsberg once said, "Poetry is not an expression of the party line. It's that time of night, lying in bed, thinking what you really think, making the private world public. That's what a poet does." Um, well, you know, I mean, I think some poets, they don't really share their private thoughts, actually. They, they write poems, but um, that's an interesting one to know, um, you know, what's really going on in someone's mind. You know? Yeah, I, I totally <laughs> agree, Jeremy. I think he's stolen my lines there because um, this is where I think I'm heading with my poetry. It's often, as I said, you know, at the end of the day when I'm tired, lying in bed, and I start to think about things that in the past I just would have kept in my head. Uh, now I'm starting to um, put them into words. And as I said before, I think it's good for your mental health to be able to um, actually express yourself and, and not just sort of push them back down like so many people do. Yeah, and then going the next step and actually reading it to an audience... Um, because I, I've known poets over the years that have shared a poem in a room full of, of you know, poetry lovers that they've never shared 
to their family. Yeah, I, that, that's, that is interesting you say that, Jeremy, because I've written a couple of poems like that that I, I haven't shared, and one day I probably will. But it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult because you're bearing your soul to people, and um, I'm still, as I said, I come to um, Napier Live Poets, and I'm, I'm starting to get more confidence. But some things it's just hard to be able to, to strangers to talk about. But I yeah. think as soon as I feel confident enough, I will, and I think that's, yeah. um, that's something that I'm, I'm learning yeah and i mean it might be too soon to ask you this question i'm not sure but how important is the entertainment factor to you do you relate to that like do you yeah i think poetry there's got to be some entertainment and um as i probably i've talked before about um uh mr sharp um Dave Sharp. Dave that, Sharp, yes. And he writes these narrative poems that are so funny. And I could, you know, based on his, his career in, in education, and I could listen to him all night. He is so funny. I mean, sure, I like the dramatic poems, but it's uh, it's good to have a laugh. And I mm. think there's got to be a balance there. And uh, yeah. that's why, you know, I'll try and write a couple of funny poems too. Okay. Well, how about sharing another one now? Yeah. Um, this is a poem about as you're getting older and um, I'm picking up ideas from I see people in the street and my wife laughs. She said, heck, you know, you've, you've changed. You're seeing different th- things. I see a pretty girl out there and I'm not saying, hey, she's a pretty girl. I'm saying, hey, I could write a poem about a T-shirt that, you know, it's got some slogan on it. So I don't know if I'm getting older and, or whatever, but, um, <laughs> you know, this is what poetry is doing to me. So um, here's a poem called um, Find Your Feel Good. Okay. Another pretty stranger on a city street, just like the ones I've seen a thousand times before. Our eyes lock on each other for a moment, maybe two seconds, but long enough to recall. A much younger man, maybe 25 years old, now lost to the universe, piece by piece, year after year. I'm no longer listening to what her body is trying to say to mine. There's something else, something more important. The slogan printed on her T-shirt, find your feel-good. Maybe she has already found hers. Somehow I think she's still looking. The chances are most people will look their whole life and never find it. Some will try to find it in a bottle. Some will try to find it in the eyes of another person. Some will even try to find it in sex with a stranger. The few lucky ones have already found it. A painter with their canvas, the potter shaping clay, the writer telling a story, the craftsman in their work. I think I've finally found my own feel good. It's the poems I've still to write. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, there you go. There's just a a flashing moment on the street and um, your poetry and antennae was up, antenna was up. And um, there we go. You've got a, you've got a poem. You've forever captured that moment and and taken it to another place. So, yeah, congratulations. I yeah, mean, that, no, that, that that was a, a fun little poem to write. Yeah, yeah. It's a snapshot, isn't it? I mean, po- poetry can be almost like a biography by the time you assemble, you know, a collection of work. Um, or even if they're just sitting on your computer in a, in a folder, you know. I mean, they, they are biography, aren't they, really? They are, and, um, you know, I think I'll, in, the, in the future I'll draw on a lot from my time in real estate because I met a lot of people and, um, you know, all different people, and particularly a lot of people that were unique characters. So I'm, yeah. um, 
uh, I feel there could be some poems there. Yep. Scott, what, what other art forms interest you? Um, have you performed or ma- ever made any other type of art or, or cre- you know, any, anything creative? Well, Jer- Jeremy, this may surprise you, but I'm at present building a model railway. Ah. Yes, I know a lot of people think it's just old guys playing with trains that didn't have the good sense to put them away after Christmas, but model railways to me are an art form, a multidimensional art form. If you do a drawing... It's two-dimensional. If you build a relief or a model, that's uh, three-dimensional. A model railway has other dimensions like sound, smell, and animation. And um, I get a lot of enjoyment. There's carpentry I'm having to do. There's electrical work I'm really enjoying, putting all these lights in buildings and getting a shock when the lights actually come on Mm. without me getting an electric shock. So I'm having a lot of fun, and the railway I'm building is based on New Zealand Railways um, and probably around about the late 1960s. So, oh, is it? Yeah, so, so I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, I also get a lot of pleasure out of paintings, not that I can paint, especially if they're a little quirky. I'll give you an idea. A few years ago when I was running my business in real estate, I asked Jane Ross, who was a well-known landscape painter, to paint me a picture of Island Bay Beach so I could put on the office wall. And yep. she did this, and it actually, in, in the painting, it had a couple of little kids with a bucket of sand and... Um, all my clients and that really loved that painting. Well, when I sold my share of the business, my business partner wouldn't let me take the picture with me, and I loved that picture. So I came up with the idea: I'll ring Jane up and ask her to paint it again. It's very interesting. In between those three years, how the price had doubled, yeah. I think she became more popular. Well, anyway, <laughs> I also sent her a photo of my family and a couple of my daughters that had had babies um, a couple of months before, <clears throat> and uh, she actually uh, painted my family into the scene and that was really magic and um, uh, I've got that picture on my wall at home and everybody uh, quite admires it. Um, Another example is I'm really into um, um, uh, Van Morrison. So last year I asked an amazing artist uh, if she could paint me her interpretation of Morrison's song Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Very special picture to me and uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that so I see something out there and um, I'm actually getting a lot of fun looking at the different types of art that's on the wall at Cairns when I'm there for yep. the poetry meetings. So, um, yeah, I do get a lot of enjoyment out of painting. Oh, good on you. Well, you're not alone in the um, model railway realm. You know, Neil Young and Rod Stewart are famous for, you know, having their um, own collections and, you know, it's a big, very, very important thing. It's downtime, like Neil Young, when he's not connected to music, he just switches off. Goes into his world of um, of trains. I'm really pleased, Jeremy, that you're saying uh, model railway, and like a lot of people say, train set. So you have a train set, and I <laughs> can they they imagine me just sitting there with the train going round and round. It, 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 it's <laughs> yeah. much more than that. So I'm glad yeah. that you're um, you're not one of these philistines. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Um, would you like to share another poem, Scott? Yeah, yeah. This is a poem that I read, uh, sorry, I wrote while I was lying in bed a couple of weeks ago. And as I said, I sometimes get my best ideas there. And I was looking up at the ceiling and um, I've got some olive trees outside and some bamboo and the sun was coming through and filtered through um, through the trees. And there was this beautiful um, shapes on my ceiling. So um, I thought, hey, there's got to be a poem. But being me, first of all, I went to Google and thought, how long does it take the um, uh, the sun to, um, to to arrive at Earth? And apparently it's about eight minutes. And so I thought, yeah, no, I'll write a poem and I'll call it Eight Minutes. So here's my poem. 
I owe my very existence to eight minutes. That's the time it takes light to travel 93 million miles from the great white star to Earth. Without the sun, life would suddenly blur to insignificance. Can't help wondering if Marilyn Monroe thought about her eight minutes being nearly up as she was fired from the set of the movie that was never finished. I'm sure JFK did as he drove down Delhi Plaza on that November afternoon. Quietly pondering why I'm still in bed at 9am, I look up and see shadows and light, moving pictures shimmering across my ceiling, gently filtered through the olive trees and sticks of bamboo. Where are my celluloid memories? Nothing captured on this film. Blank frames. A story never told. Eight minutes and counting. So there we are. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, there you go. Another moment. Um, staring at your bedroom ceiling, thinking, oh, what am I going to do today? I've got to mow the lawn. No, you've had another thought, and it was a creative one. So well well done. So staying in bed a little bit later sometimes <laughs> has its benefits. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, we've got a few minutes left. How about sharing another poem, Scott? And then we'll sort of wrap up after that. Okay. Here's a poem that I wrote for myself. And I, um, I was, it was my birthday, so when I read the poem, you know how old I am. Um, and it's called At 69. And I likened it to the horse race and to the steeplechase because I, I often refer to life as a bit of a steeplechase, you know, where there's a lot of falling going on and mm. some people get to the end and some don't. And this is my poem. At 69, is there still time? A marathon called life, I've long past the start line, stuck back in the pack. But this isn't a sprint. This race will take time. So many fences I've had to climb. The runners are now less than the start. So many fallen in this journey called life. The furlongs flash by, the middle has passed. The field is now numbered first until last. The home straight is now here. The roar of the crowd, no time for excuses. The right rein must be pulled. New ground must be found. One fence left to climb, one quick look behind. At 69, yes, there's still time. Mm. Yes, indeed. Um, it's funny, when um, Sam Hunt turned 70, he became quite, um, according to Colin Hogg, who wrote a book with him, quite overly um, concerned about his age, as if the end was near. And... Um, Colin Hogg said, oh, I think he's getting a bit ahead of himself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. and Sam said, oh, three score and ten, that's what we were told. And I remember that, actually, when I was a boy. People used to say three score and ten, that was, you know. Well, my mother always said that, and she lived to 96, so um, ah. I'm not ready to go yet. I think <laughs> no. I, I, I need a few more years just to get this poetry right. It's going to take a few more years. Oh, that's a great, great goal to have. Um, well, uh, we've got a couple of minutes. What do, what do you think about the state of the world today? Have you got any quick thoughts on that, Scott? Where do you start, Jeremy? The, uh, uh, but no, I'll give you, give you my idea for, for what it's worth anyway. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it makes me very sad and angry when I see how we've progressed. It's the 21st century and still possible for one country to use violence and exact the will on another country with force. 
But there is a positive starting to come out of all of this. I honestly believe the majority of the world is starting to say enough is enough. People are starting to stand up and say it's time for change. This planet has got smaller. Communication is almost instant. You can't hide evil as easily as you once could. And I think the saving grace is the younger generation who realise no matter your race, your language, your sexual orientation, we're all pretty much the same. We need the same things. We, we all need food, we need shelter, we need to be loved. And the right to speak our own truth without the fear of reprisal um, from some dictatorial government. Uh, so I'm not ready to give up on the planet Earth just at the moment any day, anyway. Uh, maybe one day Martin Luther King Jr. will look down from the mountain and top and smile and say they finally got it right. I hope so anyway. Yeah, uh, some nice uh, nice references there. Um, yeah, people, people still talk about his, his famous speech, don't they? Um, yeah, well, it's been lovely having you on the show today, Scott. If people want to see you, I suppose the best thing is for them to come to Napier Live Poets uh, or um, fill up their tank at uh, BP Clive. <laughs> they're, they're welcome. I'm, I'm actually just working three days a week there now, so if you're any time between 3 o'clock and 11, Thursday to Saturday, I'll be there. So if you you want me to read you a poem and we're not too busy and come and get a coffee or um, or fill up your car with petrol or buy some chocolate, and uh, we, we look forward to see you. Yeah. Do you, do you have a few poems in your back pocket while you're... I sometimes take a book of poems there okay. because Jeremy occasionally I get a bit embarrassed, especially when working with the younger ones. And we get the jobs done by 10 o'clock. I hope the boss isn't listening. They say when your jobs are done, you can yeah. always clean. And I used yeah. to say to the young ones, um, what, what shall we do now? And they sort of look blankly. I said, would you like me to read you a poem? And they say, a poem? And they say, okay, then. So um, I usually read them a poem. And then I look at the clock and it's time to lock the doors. <laughs> there we go. Time just goes by in, a, in an instant. Um, yeah, well, look, thank you very much. Listeners, thank you. You've been listening on 104.7 FM or 1431 AM, or maybe you are on the website. We appreciate your ears and um, keep those cards and letters coming in. We, we love your feedback. Um, so we'll see you again soon. Thank you again, Scott. Thank you, Jeremy.